Good morning. Oh, thank you. My name is Joshua Smith. For the last 20 years, my wife Naomi and I have served as international missionaries with Reach Global, which is the international mission of the Evangelical Free Church of America. We served as church planters for eight years in northern Spain, and exactly 10 years ago today, we moved to Mexico City, Mexico, where I served as a team leader and church planter and trainer in one of the largest cities in the history of the universe. <laughs> and you guys have a, a special place in the hearts of myself, my wife, my four kids, uh, because a year ago, also right around this time, uh, after months of being essentially trapped in our small apartment in quarantine in Mexico City, you guys made it possible for us to fly out and escape for a little while and wander freely the Wernley Farm and get to know all of you guys. And that was uh, a real life-giving uh, special treat from the Lord for my family. But then we went back into quarantine and back into urban life and ministry in the midst of the COVID pandemic, which is still not over for most people throughout the world. Um, but this morning, I, I want to let you know that God has been and will continue to be faithful to produce gospel fruit, even during a year of COVID with all of its severe limitations on church gatherings, despite weeks and months of quarantine, and despite the very real sickness and death that so many experienced in Mexico City and beyond. In fact, over the last 10 years in Mexico City, I think we can say that there's been a genuine movement of the gospel with over a dozen churches being planted and many more preparing to be launched. We've seen the formation of a dynamic network of over 25 churches and ministries who are actively working together to plant churches and to develop churches and leaders and to reach the most vulnerable among us with the good news of Jesus. We've even seen Mexican nationals being raised up as missionaries themselves. And none of that stopped because of COVID. In fact, even in the small church plant that I helped start and lead, over the past year, despite not being able to gather physically for most of the entire year, we saw growth. We saw men and women be baptized. We saw a significant growth in church membership, in new leaders. And four of those church members are actually taking active steps to become international missionaries full-time. And that's in a church of 50 members. And that's happening in churches throughout Mexico City and throughout the world. God using crisis to produce good fruit in the lives of His people and His world. So in a year of COVID and fear and political and social and racial turmoil, I want to encourage you this morning to not lose sight of God's kind and powerful hand in our lives and in our world. Brothers and sisters, the gospel is on the move, and nothing can stop it. You do not need to fear. Our God is good, and He is active. Now, at the moment, 
my family is in a period of pretty significant transition. And I want to be honest with you, it's really, really hard. It's hard to leave behind a life of the last 10 years. It's hard to lose my position in ministry and church. It's hard to not know what the future will hold. It's hard to walk with my kids into new cultures and relationships and challenges. It's hard to figure out new healthy rhythms for my marriage. It's hard for me to flee from sin sometimes when my established patterns have been broken. It's challenging. You're not always seeing me at my best moment. Now, even before COVID hit, my wife and I began to realize that our time in Mexico City was probably coming to an end. In Ephesians 4, Paul says that gifted leaders are given to the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry so that as they serve, the church grows into maturity together. In 2 Timothy 2, Paul says that leaders are to equip faithful believers who will then equip others who will then equip others, and so on. As a mission organization, we talk about that in terms of developing, empowering, and releasing national believers for gospel ministry. And oftentimes, it is the releasing that is actually the most difficult to do but perhaps also the most significant for long-term, sustainable gospel impact. Over the past 10 years, God has raised up incredible men and women in Mexico City. And we believe that it's now time for them to be released to function and minister and thrive outside of my shadow. And that means that we need to leave at least for a time. In some ways, it's kind of like our 18-year-old son reaching adulthood. Sometimes you want to hold tight and control his life, but we know that true maturity can only be attained by him if we release him to God in this new way. Around the same time we began to reevaluate our ministry in Mexico City, our mission organization, Reach Global, asked me to leave my role as the team leader in Mexico and to take on a new role on the division leadership team, providing leadership for all of our ministries in Latin America, especially in the area of church planting and multiplication and in strategic ministry. So a few months ago, we packed up our belongings said some very painful goodbyes, and we left Mexico City as we began to journey toward Emporia, Kansas. Now, my my new leadership role was going to require me to travel quite a bit, as well as do a lot of ministry through online meetings. But those things can strangely enough be done wherever there is internet and a decent airport. So while we are continuing to serve God as full-time missionaries throughout Latin America, we've decided that Emporia will be our home base for the next four or five years. That gives us a solid church family where we can grow. It allows two of my kids to finish high school and have a pretty awesome youth group. It allows us to be a little bit closer to our oldest son who will be going to Trinity 
International University near Chicago. And it provides us with a community of people, you guys, who can help care for us, especially for my family while I'm traveling. So we won't always be around, but this is where we'll come back to. Does that make sense? And we're excited to be a part of the Flint Hills Church body as we strive for ways to build each other up and to make Jesus more fully known in Latin America and in Emporia and the Lord willing until the ends of the earth. So it's kind of a long intro, right? But, I, but as we start this next chapter of ministry, I wanted to be clear kind of what's going on with us so it'd make more sense to you when I am strangely absent every few weeks. But this morning I didn't come to talk about myself, but to engage the Word of God with you. So I'd ask that you take your scriptures, and I'd ask you to turn to Mark chapter 8. I know as I have wrestled with a year of incredible change, and as I continue to walk through a year of incredible change, my heart keeps going back to the basics, to the core question of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, what it means to follow Him. So this morning I'd like to go to a very well-known passage, Mark chapter 8, verse 34. And I'd like to share with you the same message I shared with my Mexican church plant in my farewell sermon. In fact, I'm actually going to be preaching from my notes in Spanish. If the Spanish word pops out here and there, you'll know why. I'm going to focus on Mark chapter 8, verse 34, but I'd like to read from uh, verse 31 until 38 to give some context. It says in Mark 8, 31, And he, Jesus, began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he, Jesus, rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, Jesus said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Let me repeat that again. He said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels." me pray. Father, may you prepare our hearts to receive your word that we might find hope and life in Jesus. May you speak through your word to transform our hearts and minds that we might see you 
and know you in your goodness and your greatness. May our passions for our world be lessened and our passion for you be increased that we might have fullness of joy. And may we leave this building today smelling a bit more like Jesus so that our world might know you and your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. So what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Well, it says it literally right here in chapter 8, verse 34. If anyone would come after me, if anyone wants to be Jesus' disciple, he has to deny himself, take up his cross, and follow him. That's what it means to be a disciple. But what does that mean? Let's talk about it step by step, all right? According to Mark 8:34, if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, first of all, you have to deny yourself. You have to deny yourself. Without a doubt, this denying of ourselves includes denying those sinful desires that are born out of our hearts and then are revealed in our words and in our actions. We cannot follow Jesus and wickedness. They're going in opposite directions. However, Jesus does not just say that we have to deny our sinful desires. That's not what the text says. He actually says something way more surprising and way more radical. In Mark 8, 34, Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Jesus says that we have to deny our very selves. We have to lay not just our sins, but all that we are at his feet. In order to follow Jesus, we have to deny our sins, but we also have to give him, give him our desires and our hopes and our joys and our dreams and even our Christian ministries and our families. Not because these things are bad in and of themselves, but because nothing and no one can take the place of ultimate priority in our lives except for Jesus. He is our Christ. He is our King. He is our Savior. He is our priority, or He is not. When any other thing, whether it be good or bad, is put in the place of God as the most important thing in our lives, that thing, whatever it is, good or bad, becomes an issue of idolatry. If we find our greatest security or our value or our hope or our joy in something beyond Jesus, even though this beautiful and pure thing becomes an idol, a false god, and a barrier to true Christian discipleship. Now, Mexico City is filled with physical idols. You cannot go far without running into a statue to the Virgin of Guadalupe or St. Jude 
or even to saint death, which is the worship of death itself. And these are obviously false idols, but they oftentimes are not the most dangerous kinds of idols. The idols that are most dangerous for us are actually the idols of the heart. And those include wicked things like envy and pride and lust and greed, but they also include really good things like my family and my wife and my kids, my job, my ministry, even my church. At times, the most beautiful and virtuous things become the most dangerous kinds of idols because we don't see them for what they are becoming in our lives as they begin to jockey themselves, to put themselves in position of priority in my heart. And that happens when we take the good gifts of God and we put them in the place of God as the ultimate in my life. Jesus has something similar in Matthew 10, 37 through 39. I'd like to read this. In Matthew 10, 37 through 39, Jesus says, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What a challenging passage, right? Uh, Jesus is not supposed to say things like that. But he does. And he did. Now, he's not saying that family's bad. The Bible is very clear that family is a gift of God. But he is saying that if I love my family more than Jesus, I'm taking the good gift of God and I'm putting it in the place of God as a false idol. And we cannot follow Jesus and idols. One leads to life, and the other only leads to death and despair. So if we're going to follow Jesus, we have to deny our very selves. Give Him everything, the good and the bad. So how do we recognize when something is in danger of becoming an idol in my life? How do we recognize that? So I have a little three-question diagnostic tool that I'd like to offer you. Are you ready? I actually want you, I'm going to ask these questions, I want you to write down an answer. So pull out a, a paper, pen or pencil. If you don't have that, pull out your cell phone. It's the only time I'll ask you to pull out your cell phone during my sermon. Use a note function. If you can't do that, then take a mental note, all right? That's the bare minimum, mental note. So these are three questions to help you diagnose Potential idols in your life. Are you ready? I want a response. Something. Okay, thank you. All right. First question. What makes you most happy? What makes you really 
happy. Got it. I won't ask you to yell it out, but you can. <clears throat> you guys got something? Okay. Question number two. What do you worry about the most? What do you worry about the most? What keeps you up at night? You got something? If you're, doing, if you're saying yes and you don't, you're lying to me, all right? God knows. So put something down. Third question in our diagnostic tool. What do you most long for? What do you most long for? Or to put it another way, what do you daydream about? Whatever's on your list, your answers, those are the things you need to be paying attention to. Those are the things most likely to be jockeying for position, seeking to be the primary thing in your life. These sorts of questions can help us to recognize what's going on inside of ourselves both the actual, the current idols, and the potential idols. Now, for myself, one of the greatest challenges of taking on my new role as an area leader is having to let go of my ministry in Mexico City. And that means losing control. And that means I'm not essential anymore. That means I have to trust God with 10 years of labor and whatever happens, good or bad, I have to let it go. And I'll tell you guys, I really like control. And I worry about my kids. As they get older, and I can't make them do what I think they should. And I can't make their hearts believe or trust. I can't make them choose the good. And I have to let it go because I'm not in control, that I desperately want to be. I really like clarity. I like things to be clear. Right now in my ministry transition, things are not clear for me. And I don't like that. I have to follow Jesus when it's not clear. I have to follow Jesus today. Denying myself means following him when it's not clear. If we're going to deny ourselves, we have to be honest with ourselves. But where our hearts are. What do you most value? What do you most desire? Whatever that is, are you willing to lay it aside or to lose it 
or if necessary, sacrifice it in order to follow Jesus. Whatever it is that comes to your mind right now, you need to chew on that. You need to think on that, reflect on that, and what it means for your heart and your life and your Lord. Even your amazing church, Flint Hills Bible Church, can become an idol when you and now we seek to protect the good thing we have going on for our well-being instead of continuing to risk ourselves for the well-being of the gospel. Because we don't exist just to have, uh, just to enjoy the good things about our church. We exist to build up God's church for His glory and the well-being of our world, even when that means deep, profound sacrifice. So according to Jesus in Mark 8, 34, if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, first of all, you need to deny yourself. And secondly, you need to take up your cross. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. Now in the first century, the cross really only meant one thing. It meant death and a shameful death at that. Your boss is not the cross you have to bear. That's not what he's talking about. Your kids, your sickness, that's not what he's talking about. The cross refers to shameful, humiliating death. John Piper says that the cross here refers to opposition, shame, suffering, and death. And that means taking up your cross is a rejection of approval. It's a rejection of the need to be respected by others. It's a rejection of comfort and pleasure. And it is a rejection of safety. I like that. In Mark 8.31, Jesus makes clear that he knows that the people are going to murder him. And so here he's inviting us to go on the same journey of suffering, even unto death. The majority of the apostles who heard these words ended up dying for their faith. And the same path that they walked is the path that Jesus invites us to walk as well. Are you willing to give up the approval of men? Are you willing to give up the respect of your family or co-workers or professors? Are you willing to give up comfort and pleasure, whether that's a lack of hospitality or pornography? Comfort and pleasure are enemies of the cross. Are you willing to give up your safe life and risk it all? For something better. That's what it means to be a disciple. That is the radical way of Jesus. So according to Jesus in Mark 8, 34, if you want to be his disciple, first of all, you have to deny yourself. Secondly, you have to take up your cross. And third, you have to follow him. You actually have to follow him. This is not theory, this is practice. 
Simply put, to be a disciple of Jesus is to be a follower of Jesus. Disciples are not just fans of Jesus who get a Bible verse tattooed on their arm or cross-stitch verses for their wall or put on a Jesus fish eating a Darwin fish on their car. And if any of those things are true of you, there's no judgment there. All right? But it's not enough to be a fan. Disciples also are not just academics who study the Bible. Knowing about Jesus is not following Jesus. In a church like Flint Hills, I suspect that's more the danger. In good Bible teaching churches, your danger is that you think knowing about Jesus is the same thing as following Jesus. And it's not. I suspect there are some pretty incredible theologians in hell. An early Mexican evangelical leader, Gonzalo Baez Camargo, said it more or less like this. He says, what saves is belief in Christ, not orthodox belief about Christ. Knowledge does not replace active faith. Good theology in and of itself does not produce the character of a disciple who's following after Jesus. One of the things I like about the elders at Flint Hills is that they're obviously knowledgeable men, but there is a gentleness about them, isn't there? There's a gentleness about them. Because they're following Jesus. And there's a gentleness about Jesus. True disciples follow Jesus wherever he leads and whatever the cost. And we don't follow him just because we agree with where he's going. In fact, a lot of times we don't understand where in the world Jesus is leading us. We follow him because we trust him. Because he is our north star, our guide, our Lord, our life, and our hope. Maybe we don't understand all of this. But we know that there is no other way worthy of my life. We get that. And that's a great place to start. It makes me think about John 6, verses 67 through 68, where Jesus asked his disciples, the, the, the crowds had just abandoned him. And he says, are you also going to leave me? And Peter re responds, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but the disciples are not superheroes in the Bible. In fact, one of the great evidences that the Gospels are historically true is that you don't make your religion's founders look like a bunch of idiots. And honestly, apostles look like idiots half the time. They're confused. They're fighting for position. They don't get it. But they got one thing right that makes them worthy of our imitation. 
There's one key virtue about the apostles. You know what they did? They followed Jesus. In the midst of their confusion and sin and bad expectations and pride, they kept following Jesus. Who else has words of eternal life? Christianity involves a lot of amazing truths and principles and commands and promises. But at its core, it is about one simple question. Will you follow Jesus? Will you deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Him, trusting Him until the very end? Wherever He leads, and whatever it costs. That is the essence of the Christian faith, and that's what it means to be a disciple. Now, when I ask that question, it is a question. It's a real question you have to answer. Will you follow Jesus today? I'm just going to ask the question. You can write it down, put it in your cell phone, make a mental note. What's your response? Will you follow Jesus today? Not yesterday. Not last year. Will you follow Jesus today? Some of you immediately are saying, yes, I will follow him till the very end. If that's you, I say amen and let's do it together. So at least for me, I'm going to need some help. (laughs) But some of you are doubting or maybe don't even understand the question. And I want you to know that that makes sense. It makes sense because this morning we've talked about what it means to follow Jesus, but we still haven't talked about why we should follow Jesus. Why we should trust him till the end. And that's a really good question. So I'd like to finish this morning giving three reasons why we should follow Jesus. Why we should trust him till the end. The first reason is we should trust Jesus because he offers us life. Secondly, we should trust Jesus because he is strong. And third, we should trust Jesus because he is worthy. Let me briefly unpack each of those. First of all, we should trust Jesus because he offers us life. It says in Mark 8, 34-37, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life, whoever will not take up his cross, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life, for my sake and the gospels, will save it, will save his life. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? As human beings, we have a terrible problem. The Bible says that we are sinners. And what that means is that we have not lived the lives of justice that God demands. And according to the Word of God, the wages of sin, the consequence of our injustice, 
is death, and eternal death at that. It is what justice demands, and God is always just in His judgments. But it's not just a question of justice, it's also a question of natural consequences. When we take the good gifts of God and we put them in the place of God, we are actually giving ourselves over to false idols who cannot give us what we really want. Having children will never give you the happiness that you desire. Marriage or a romantic, romantic relationship will never satisfy you in the way that you hope. Your career or your studies will never be sufficient for you. For missionary kids, having a settled home and a settled location will never give you the stability you long for. And the COVID vaccine will not protect you from final judgment. Though it may protect you from a bad case of COVID. But it will not save you from death. And neither will your bank account, your retirement fund, or your concealed carry. In Mark 8, 35, Jesus is saying that if you want to save your life, you will lose it. The tighter you grasp onto it, the more it will slip through your fingers. Because you cannot draw water from an empty well. And you cannot find life on the pathway to death. But everything you desire, your deepest and most profound desires, can actually be found in Jesus. He can and does offer life and joy and acceptance and security and a real family because He is the perfect fulfillment of all of our deepest and most profound desires. We are made to live in relationship to Him. He is the source of light and life and goodness. And apart from Him, there is none of it. In John 14, 16, Jesus says that he is the life, and he offers his life, true life, abundant life to all who will trust in him. And that means that we really cannot lose anything that we give over to Jesus. Because he says in Mark 8, 35, whoever would save his life will lose it, but, this is an important word, but, Whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospels, he will save it. Jesus says elsewhere, if you give up house and home and family, lands, for the sake of the gospel, give you a hundred times as much in this life and in the age to come. And you will. We trust in Jesus because he offers us life. Secondly, we trust in Jesus because He is strong. Because He is strong. 
So Jesus offers us life, but how do we know that he can fulfill his promises? You guys ever heard of a politician offering things, making promises? It's one thing to make a promise. It's another thing to get it done. We know that Jesus can get it done because he is strong. He is so strong that he is capable of defeating death itself as the resurrected Lord. In Mark 8.31, Jesus said that it was necessary that he die, but he also says that he would raise from the dead in three days. And that's exactly what he did. Do you guys know anybody else who has defeated death once and for all? No, you don't. But Jesus did. The center of the Christian faith is not a religious truth or a spiritual truth, but a historical truth. That Jesus, in history, died. And in history, he rose from the dead bodily. And if a man has risen from the dead, everything has changed. If Jesus has the strength to defeat death itself, he also has the power necessary to rescue you from it and to fulfill every single one of his good promises. But there's also a warning here that I have to share. According to Mark 8, 38, Jesus is going to come back someday in glory. And on that day, he will judge the nations with power. In verse 38, he says, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. He's talking about that day. He says, Of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And that means that Jesus does not just invite us to follow him. Jesus commands us to follow him. He does not just have the power to save us. He also has the authority to judge us. But there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We trust in Jesus because he offers us life. And we trust in Jesus because he is strong enough to fulfill his promises. And finally, we trust in Jesus because he is worthy. We trust in Jesus because he is worthy. Jesus is the author of life itself. He is the all-powerful God. Those things are enough to show that he's worthy, but there's more. In Mark 8, 31... Before saying that he's going to raise from the dead, he says something really important. You know what that is? He says that he's going to die. And he said it plainly, says in verse 32. This is no secret mystery. Jesus came to die. And that means that Jesus came not just to instruct us as a good teacher or to warn us as a great prophet, Jesus came to die for our sins as the Lamb of God sacrificed for the sins of his people. 
Or as Jesus says in Mark 10, he came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. The just dying for the unjust to bring us to God in peace. Paying the price for our injustice to satisfy the justice of God. So that we might be forgiven of our sins and reconciled to God and as a consequence reconciled with each other and with our world. That is why we follow Jesus. Because He is worthy. Our great King gave His life. Is there any better reason? We talk about world missions. We often think of a command, the Great Commission. Might I be so bold to say, if you remove the Great Commission from the Scriptures, the Great Commission would not essentially change? We share what we love. And no one has loved you more deeply than Jesus. And so we share Jesus with others because we can't help but take this overwhelming love and offer it to others. We who are dead in our sins, how can we not offer life to others? How can we close, close our mouths? How can we be embarrassed to talk about Jesus when he gave everything for us, when he's so good and so kind and so worthy? We don't share the gospel because we're commanded to. We share the gospel because we have to, because he's so good, he's so kind, because there's no one better, nothing more sweet, no one more powerful, no one else who gives life. May we follow Jesus this morning in faith and hope, giving him everything because he is worthy. May we do it for our own salvation. May we do it for the well-being of our world. And may we do it for the glory of God. Amen.